Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. As always, I'm your host, Coach Jason Coop, and this episode of the podcast is with professional coach, athlete, and all-around fireball hailing from the hardy hills of Scotland. It is Leslie Patterson. For those of you unfamiliar with Leslie, she has had an illustrious career as an endurance athlete where she has won not one, not two, but three Xterra World Championships. But as all of you listeners know, I just don't bring on fast athletes to talk about how they have individually found success. Paired with Leslie's athletic accomplishments comes a rich coaching history, which includes working with all different types of athletes in a multitude of sports, from adventure racing to running and the sport of triathlon. Her new book, which is titled The Brave Athlete, Calm the F Down and Rise to the Occasion, which I really appreciate that title, by the way, that she wrote with her partner in crime, Simon Marshall, PhD, is an homage to how she has approached her professional coaching and athletic career with a blend of tough love, compassion, and science-backed psychology. And I can think of no better sport to put her psychological framework to good use than the sport of ultra running, which is rife with uncertainty, anxiety, and we all certainly need to calm the F down at times, especially in those aid stations where things can get kind of chaotic. You guys have seen it. You all know. This podcast does contain several four-letter words every so often, which in my humble opinion, enhance and brighten up the conversation and allow Leslie's personality and my personality for that, for that matter to really shine. So don't say I didn't warn you. I hope you find this podcast insightful in your journey to become a more resilient and psychologically prepared ultra runner. This podcast pairs well with Coopcast number 64 with Kareem Ramadan Coopcast number 22 with my good friend and fellow coach Adam Pulford, and Coopcast number 14 with the incomparable Dr. Justin Ross, all of which have similar themes of resilience, compassion, and psychological preparedness woven throughout them. All right, I'm going to get out of the way. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with the fireball herself, Leslie Patterson. Let's get it rocking and rolling. Yep, let's get it rocking and rolling. Um, if, I, I kind of want to know first off, like I, I think it, it's going to be important for the listeners to understand a little bit more about the types of athletes that you work with, because yep. as you're aware, I have mainly a ultra marathon audience, and we all tend to stay in our own little silos. You Silent. triathletes know that more than anything else. Yeah. But why don't you kind of explain to the listeners, like, like who are the types of athletes that you typically see in, in your practice? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. You know, um, I've been coaching now for about 15 years. And to be honest, you know, it, it really runs the gamut. And um, because I've been in all sports from endurance running to endurance cycling to mountain biking to road racing to road triathlon to off-road triathlon to adventure racing so i really have done everything and and as a consequence we we coach everything um and we coach every level uh, i'm a big believer in um supporting the community of endurance sport and by that I mean anyone that comes to the table with passion for what they do I want to coach them whether that's I just want to get off my sofa and do a 5k or whether that's I'm a professional athlete going for a world world title um and I've I've uh, both been around and been those athletes all along the way so 
um, yeah, it really, it really runs a gamut. And, and that's what I love. That's what I love about coaching. Every different experience possible. It helps me learn and grow. So what, what I want to know, just to get into some banter before we start talking about the technical stuff, you have a, the title of the book that you wrote is Salacious. And I'm going to read the whole title for the listeners. It's got an yes. F-bomb in it. So if you've got kids Excellent. in the car or whatever, just mute it for the next <laughs> like 20 or 30 seconds. But I think that it's the perfect title for a lot of endurance athletes that I know. And I'm sure mm -hmm. a lot of endurance athletes that you know. So the title of the book is Brave Athlete, Calm the Fuck Down. And yes. I have used that phrase in my in my coaching practice particularly before races, lead, like not just right before the races, but like leading mm -hmm. up to races mm -hmm. numerous times. And when I saw it, I was like, I, I want credit for that because I've used that like so yeah. many times. So I, I'm, I'm kind of assuming that this is coming from like the, the subtitle of the book is kind of coming from a lot of personal experience. Can you give us just like a little bit of background on what the impetus for the book was? Yeah, so I think it really boils down to those inner demons that you have inside, those inner voices that kind of talk to you about a whole lot of nonsense. Um, and um, it's about calming those voices down, right? And understanding why they're there, uh, why your brain operates in that way, and telling them to calm the fuck down so you can get on and do what it is you know you can do based upon your training, based upon sort of uh, your passion, your hopes, your dreams. So it's just like, settle down, man, you know, just kind of get on with it. One foot in front of the other, one pedal stroke in front of the other. Um, and I, of course, grew up in a, a, a Scottish household, uh, as you can tell from my accent. No, it's not Texas. Um, so, or Texan rather. Um, so, yeah, so, so it was all, you know, I grew up in that kind of household where my father was very much, you know, don't whine, don't moan, don't complain, just crack on and get it done. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, my first sport was rugby, right? I played with 250 boys and me. Um, and so you just had to crack on and get it done because I love playing the sport. So anybody that was making fun of me, making jokes, um, I didn't have changing rooms to change in, you know, all of those things. Again, it was just like, calm down, settle down, just crack on and get it done. So that's sort of the the, the, the mantra uh, behind it all. Um, and then, of course, the brave heart, right? You know, being brave enough to face your fears um, because we all have them. It doesn't matter what level you're competing at, what it is that you're doing. Everyone is facing that kind of fear, whatever that is. So it's about being brave enough to face it, overcome it and learn and grow from it. Mm, I like the two, I like the teeter totter aspect of it, right? Because it's a right. little bit of carrot and a little bit of stick kind of simultaneously yes. almost, right? That's exactly, you know, and I think that's probably why I've managed to sort of be successful in my career is that my parents were very much, you know, crack on with a stick, but at the same time, their love was absolutely unconditional and there wasn't anything they wouldn't do for me. So it was both tough love and, and reward. So that really is a perfect combination to get out there. Know that if you fail, you're going to pick yourself up and keep on going, but there's someone there to help you do it. And, and that has allowed me to excel. And, and my husband plays that role for me now, you know, as, as, as well as my parents continuing to do so. 
I kind of feel that there's a whole social offshoot that we could take with this in terms of I know, how, totally. I know you know where I'm going with this, with this, yep. in terms of how a lot of young and developing athletes oh. are, are coddled, are, are, coddled. You can say it. Yeah. I mean, yep. coddled, they're coddled. Absolutely. 100%. You know, it's a, uh, everyone's a winner or let's say uh, move away from competitiveness or, um, you know, I think there's just because they've grown up in this world of comparison through social media, they have at their fingertips, people that have achieved such success, whether that's athletes, business people, people that are famous. Um, and they assume that, that it's easy, that it just happens overnight. It, they can just do it and um, they don't understand or they maybe haven't recognized the sheer hard work that it takes to get there the amount of failure that it takes to get there and um yeah i think i think parents are coddling their children and as a consequence they're not dealing with adversity and it's only really through adversity that we learn and we grow i mean truly well, this leads into one of the themes that I've heard you speak about a lot and one of the themes in the book as well. And this is this theme of resiliency. And right. it's something that it gets a lot of lip service, particularly right. in the endurance space, because we think we're resilient athletes. You know, we go and we do tough things and the endurance events are hard and mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of grit, which is another buzzword that uh, mm-hmm. kind of gets thrown around a lot. But as it turns out, like, it doesn't just happen by talking about it. It's mm-hmm. a de- it's a developed skill, and there's a lot of yes. neurobiology behind how right. you can actually develop resiliency. Correct? Oh, big time! And it's you know it kind of boils down to a part of your brain that's just so it's like a sausage, and it's behind your eyes called the anterior cingulate cortex, and that um, it tells us it's it's about your perception of um, pain, basically both emotional and physical, and so that actually changes and grows. Um, uh, if you have dealt with adversity and as a consequence it allows you to deal with more moving forward and in fact there were some amazing studies done on professional cyclists and they found that um, the top percent of of professional cyclists uh, had actually had um, you know some sort of abusive experiences in their background and their ACCs were actually larger and denser in size And so, of course, you know, there's a lot of kind of um, uh, caveats to that. But what that suggests is that if you do have adversity, that that will grow. The neuroplasticity will help you change your brain and as a consequence, cope with more in the future. So, you know, my my thing has always been as an athlete, what is the most challenging a session I can do, and I'm not just talking physiologically based, I'm talking mentally based as well. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to try it and I'm going to do it. And, and, and that's going to work that part of my brain. And it might be as simple as I'm going to do a running race on the Sunday where um, everybody knows me. Everybody is expecting me to win. And the day before I go out and run, a, you know, ride a hundred miles with, with a group ride with a massive stress score, because I want to show up to that line compromised to put myself on the back foot and to be able to cope with that. Um, and that is resiliency. Um, and there's so many different ways that you can create that um, artificially to help you so that on race day or event day, you feel like you've covered all bases and you feel like you have Teflon on the outside because you really know how to, to deal with anything that comes your way. 
Here's the balance point with that, though, because we mm-hmm. hear we hear a lot in sports science and in coaching philosophy that whenever you're working out hard or you're scheduling some sort of hard session, you want to leave a little bit on the table. You don't want to dig into the very deepest, deep parts of the well because of the physical or the potential right. physical consequences yeah. of that. Yep. And the listeners will remember I had a I had a podcast uh, maybe about a year ago now that I'm actually remembering it because it's one of the last podcasts that I recorded in person. It was before the whole COVID thing went down uh, with one of our coaches, Adam Polford, who I have a, uh, a lot of respect for. And we talked about how to how to kind of create resilient athletes. And this is one of the themes that kept revolving around that discussion is how do we balance giving the athlete something that's extremely challenging in order to help foster this resiliency right. and how to not just completely bury them. Cause that's easy, right? Any coach can just bury athletes and things like that. How do you look, how do you look at that? Yeah, I think there's so many things that you need to to put on the table to assess, right? We have wonderful tools now to see where someone's physiology is at any given time, Uh, whether that's, you know, you're utilizing training peaks and data or HRV or, you know, uh, maybe you've got an aura ring or you're using WHOOP or any one of these metrics just to track where someone's physiology is. And you can play with that, right? Um, So as long as you're aware of, of how an athlete is responding and where they're at from a physical state, then you can start manipulating some other factors to really, you know, have a day where you're saying, okay, this this athlete is 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 somewhat fresh, or or they're at this point of fatigue. Let's just have a really tough session where we're going to push them to the edge, but know that they've got a recovery period after that, or they're fresh going into it. And then there's other ways to create resiliency. It might not be that it's just purely physiologically physiologically based, right? It might be the 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 type of activity if it's an activity that they don't like that they've shied away from in the past so it's very emotionally demanding for them it might be the group that they're around you know there's a stigma attached to it there, there's a competitor that's out there that always does this group ride and they've always been scared of it you know there's so many other ways to create resiliency right um it doesn't have to be just uh, uh, physiologically. So, yeah, I think it's just kind of taking all of those uh, parameters in mind and then knowing your athlete, knowing the things that, that kind of make them tick, the things that they love, the things that they hate, knowing on that scale how to balance all of those things. And and it's like those little dials, right? Uh, and work through that to create that resiliency. And so for the listeners out there that not everybody's coached, right? And there's there's some coaches that are listening to this podcast, but, there's, but predominantly it's going to be a lot of self-directed and self-coached athletes. Mm-hmm. For the people that are out there that are doing this self-direction, they're trying to determine, okay, I need to do this tomorrow and this long run on this next day and these intervals on the day mm-hmm. after that. What are like some of the specific skills that they can take underneath that whole umbrella of training if they feel that they need to like reinforce their, their resiliency for whatever reason. Yeah. So I think it's uh, being self-aware and a lot of people are not self-aware. And by that, I mean, knowing how you tick emotionally and physically. So the things that, um, uh, 
create a lot of stress in you emotionally and physically and writing those things down and being very, very aware of them. So I know the types of sessions that stress me emotionally and the types of sessions that stress me physically. And then if I combine them together on any given day, that's going to be a high score, right? So what is that for you, by the way? I want to, you're a good athlete and I want to hear this. I want to hear this specifically from you. What is it? Yep. So the hardest session I would say for me that I get the most nervous about uh, is our group rides with a lot of guys, a lot of big guys that are, you know, first cat, first cat, second cat riders on the flat because mm. I am very small and very light and I don't like the flat. I don't like it. I don't like riding it. I get frustrated. I love the mountains. I love the hills. So there's a huge, you know, I hate those big open roads or windy, um, yeah, so I hate that. And there's a specific group ride here in San Diego that's pretty famous, and it it's called the the Camp Pendleton ride, and it gets on the Camp Pendleton base. And there's a lot of big hitters. I mean, some Tour de France riders have shown up on it. Um, and, uh, and 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 sorry, I remember riding with Chris Horner on it one day. And um, yeah, so I really have to get myself up for that you know, emotionally and physically to be ready to be able to hang the wheel. Because the thing about it is, is, you know, that session for me as well is a real, it comes generally at the point in my season where I'm prepping for a big race and it's a real critical session. And if I miss it, I feel like I've missed a really uh, critical piece of the preparation. And if I get dropped, which can happen within 10 minutes, I feel like my whole session has gone. Right. So I get so anxious about, I'm like, oh, I need to be in the right position. If I get dropped, if there's a crosswind, if someone launches an attack and I can't steal, that's it. My ride's over. My ride's over. Now I've got to try and recreate that on my own. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I it's can funny. almost hear your training log coming out as you're speaking about this. Yep. This is like, I think one of the things that the athletes that are listening can take away from this is a training log that is not solely representative of the mileage and in trail yes. running, we talk about vert, vertical gain, vertical loss oh, a lot, yep. heart rate, paces, a training log that encompasses more than the data that can be extracted right. from your watch is extremely valuable. So, so valuable. And I think that, you know, training peaks or other other systems out there haven't quite got uh, good metrics for that yet. They haven't got a good system other than you just log down your comments. And that's a very difficult thing to track. Um, but it is important. You can look back at phases where things were going well and you can look at the comments that you had or, you know, I would even say to athletes what's really important is to have a a, a diary of what went on in your personal life um you know whether that's you know a stressful time with your partner whether your kid is sick whether you know your job is really stressful because they have that that has such a massive impact on 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 the stress on your body and we just don't take that into consideration yeah here's a here's a trick that i use uh with the athletes that i have if i'm trying to figure out if I haven't been working with an athlete for a long period of time, I'm just trying to like figure out what is like emotionally challenging for them is I just go back and I search the training by keyword and training peaks will let you do that. You can search all yep. of the comments by good or bad or terrible or whatever it is, you know, sluggish mm-hmm. flat is a, is a word that a lot of runners use. I felt flat mm-hmm. and you can use that if they've been keeping up with it as like little clues as to, actually like actually what's going on and then you paint the picture of okay these are the sessions or these are the types of workouts just like the group ride that you described Mm -hmm. that are particularly Mm -hmm. challenging in a certain way 
Mm-hmm. That's really cool, actually. It would be nice to get some sort of a, a, a data data on that. You know, certain search words that you could utilize that maybe have a negative impact, a, a, you know, on a person and actually have a value to that. How many times that word is mentioned in their logs at, at what period of time? And that would be kind of interesting. I'm going to ping our mutual friend, uh, Dirk Friel, over at Turning Peaks now. We're yes, going to get a word cloud. We're going to get a word cloud right, going. Right, that would right. be great. That would be actually kind of be great. <laughs> I'm going to pile more work on Dirk. Sorry yeah. about that, man. He's a good, he's a good friend of both of ours. Is, is oh, listeners. cool. He's a tell. great guy. Um, okay, so paired with resiliency, one of the one of the outcomes of creating a resilient athlete is that athlete is then able to cope better during really stressful times. And that, right. and, and I think that that stressful times tra- even transcends athletics, and that's another conversation. But when we talk about race, when we talk about races and trying to perform at an athlete's peak season after season year after year it's never perfect or very 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 rarely perfect and if if, if you think it's perfect you're not scrutinizing things enough that's what i've always right. told my athletes but part of a consequence of of intentionally creating resilient athletes is they can cope through those low points in order to create outstanding performances you've had a lot of framework and themes around all of these different types of 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 coping skills that athletes can develop why don't we take the listeners through that for a little bit yeah so um uh, gosh in terms of like coping with injury or coping with uh, uh dive into that just 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 everything coping yeah. with everything um yeah, so that's, I guess, a kind of big question. I'll talk about my personal experiences. Yeah. So um, I have uh, dealt with chronic Lyme's disease as well as multiple in- injuries that have been just absolutely mind-blowingly awful, uh, one of which has meant really I've, I've not been able to run properly for about eight years, which is just horrible because that was my first sport and my my absolute love and joy. Um, and I think in all what is common across all of these coping mechanisms is getting down to both gratitude and your why. So being grateful for what it is that you can do and figuring out your why as to to why maybe what you've lost or what you're challenged with is so important to you. Um, And I think that, that certainly dealing with something like chronic Lyme's disease where there's so many symptoms, you're up and down all the time, you never really know what's wrong with you, you're going through multiple doctors, it's very confusing and frustrating, it's difficult to find structure um, and there's a lot of unknowns which we know creates you know, a, a lot of stress on the brain, a lot of stress on the body. Um, so it's, it's finding a way to uh, make those unknowns part of your growth. So for me, I call it my investigative health hustle, whether that's with injury or health, is I use a lot of the energy that I would be putting into my training that I can no longer do, say, and I put it towards figuring out the whys behind why I'm injured, why am I sick, how do I resolve this? And I really dig into the weeds on a lot of that stuff. I I educate myself in it. Uh, I gain a lot of knowledge that hopefully I can pass on to other people. Um, And that's been a huge part of my coping mechanism. So uh, educating and, and knowledge around the whys behind 
both why I'm doing the things I'm doing, but also why has this happened to me? And then how do I sort that? Uh, how do I fix it? Um, and with injury and illness, it's, you know, how am I treating both the symptoms and the cause? Um, and, uh, and then finding if I am injured or sick or dealing with a tough time, how do I still have a positive outlook? And for me, it's about, um, again, knowing my why behind what I'm doing. So for endurance sport, it's very much about being out in nature, experiencing the wilderness, being out on trails, being at one with my body. Um, all of the endorphins that come from that, all of the sort of uh, mental happiness and joy that come from that. Um, and so in order to cope in certain situations, if I know that that's my key, even if I can't run, but say I can bike, it's making sure I get out in the mountains to have that experience to really sort of nourish the soul in that way. Um, if I am injured, how can I get that 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 sort of quality of emotion through something else? And that's where for me, uh, I'm an artist as well. I'm a screenwriter, a filmmaker. Uh, that's what I studied uh, in school, both graduate and undergraduate. So that's what I, I find that other thing that can nourish my soul that maybe is now not, I'm not able to through sport, I can do that through art and for some people that might be their children for some people that might be their business um and then i think um coping with stress having a network of people around you mm -hmm. having great friends great family everything i would say in my career as an athlete has been because of my training partners so making sure you have awesome training partners that become your soulmates, because they are going to take you through those vulnerable moments. You're going to take them through their vulnerable moments. And we know that we bond over vulnerability, not over strength. And so there's no, and all you guys, all your listeners will know that either. there's no greater bond than your training buddy that's out there with you at 5 a.m. climbing a mountain you know, and you're sharing your deeper, deepest, most fears when you're, you know, at threshold heart rate. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just that, that, that's anyway. So all of those things, I think they refuel our, our, our neurochemistry and, and, and so many different ways. Yeah. I think going back to your why statement, um, we, we, that got exposed a lot during COVID where the, what I would call the what athletes, what are you training for? Right. And they would, they could answer with, I'm training for the Boston marathon. I'm training for this ultra run or whatever. They had a hard time dealing with the uncertainty of not having those what's out on the calendar. The why athletes, the ones that had like strong internal whys, okay, I trained to make myself feel better or because it's a bigger part of my life. I like my training partners, as you mentioned, and things like that. They didn't skip as much of a beat. They still had challenges, don't get me wrong, because <clears throat> the events are extremely important, but they weren't affected nearly as much as the what centered athletes that all of a sudden got the rug pulled out from underneath them. Big time. And I think that, I mean, that's, that is a, a very astute point and, and we've experienced that too with all of our athletes. And, um, I think truly to be the best athlete that you can be, again, you have to be self-aware and I think you have to know your why because then it boils down to focusing on the craft, on the process of what you're doing and that that will, that will help your what. If you're only ever focused on your what, you're going to miss 
the 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 golden nuggets of things that you can do to to move beyond anything that you could ever have dreamt of and i think that that's what i experienced personally as an athlete i always wanted to be the best in the world i always wanted to be go to the olympics or win gold medals or or all the rest of it and certainly there was a point in my career where i was beating professional men consistently and having performances i just couldn't ever have dreamed of and and neither could Simon. I mean, he was just like, what? And it was because I focused on the process and I got into the nitty gritty of the why behind what it is that I do. And if it's purely about the win, I just don't think you're going to have longevity. Um, You've got to, and that's uncomfortable for people to drill into that, isn't it? I mean, because you're getting into some of your deeper emotions. Yep. And, and you know, uh, some of my why boils down to, you know, my relationship with my father, mm. you know, because it's, it's you know, I wanted to, to have this perfection uh, so that I could be special. And mm. I wanted to be special because I was the fourth child of a family that just kind of was given all the hand-me-downs and you, you just kind of, n- nothing is ever really good enough in Scotland. You know, I mean, it's always about what you haven't done. That's the, the general <laughs> attitude. So, you know, I think if you really drill down into some of that deeper psychology of it, it's, it's fascinating and it can enlighten you as to how to better proceed and get the most out of yourself. hundred um, percent. I want to pivot a little bit to something that's, it's not unique to ultra running, which is which is my audience, but I think it, that it's definitely heightened or it's got a little bit of a magnifying glass on in ultra running. And this is this aspect of how uncertainty can create anxiety. And Ooh, we, yeah. I know this is a loaded topic, right? Yeah. <laughs> we we see we see this play out in ultra running in a couple of different in a couple of different fashion in a couple of different fashions. So I'm gonna kind of set this up for you and then let you let you take it over. The first of which is during training, and it typically happens with first-time ultra runners. They're running their first 50 or their first 100 in particular, and there's a lot of uncertainty between the length of their longest long run and the length of the race. So they're going to go out and do a 50-mile long run, and their race is 100 miles. It's double, right? right? Double. That's a lot of uncertainty, and when you think about it from a duration standpoint, Right. It's even bigger than that, right? Because yep. you're slowing down, you're running that 50 and training a little bit faster and on and on and on. And that uncertainty creates anxiety within the training process. Mm-hmm. And the way that it revealed, the way that anxiety is really revealed is this obsession about what the longest long run actually is. Is it going to be 45 right. miles? Is it 47 miles? Is it 100K? Right. Is it, you know, whatever? Right. So that's the first situation. The second way that this, that this anxiety and uncertainty unfolds is actually out on the race course. So same situation, first time, you know, ultra marathoner, they get to mile 60 of a hundred. They don't know what the next 40 miles is. They've never been there before. Mm -hmm. They feel like crap. They sit down in an aid station and they think like, I can't, I can't imagine going another 40 miles and they get all wrapped up in the uncertainty of the situation can they actually handle it and they either underperform or drop out or on and on and on and on and on i want to hear what you have to say about this because you you've mentioned this you know this concept of a gas pedal and a brake pedal before and how athletes can kind of cope with this uncertainty element which is so prevalent in ultra marathon running 
Yeah, you know, I think uncertainty, you know, I mean, it actually changes the telomeres um, at the end of our chromosomes, right? So it actually damages uh, our, 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 our chromosomes, right? So it has a profound impact, but I think it kind of boils down to dopamine pathways. And um, so much of uncertainty, um, you know, halts that dopamine pathway. And we know that dopamine, what it does is it fuels motivation to want to continue. So if you don't create your own dopamine pathway in times of uncertainty you're going to be screwed um you know so and and, and ultimately that's about segmenting it's really pretty simple as, as complex as it is it, you know the tools to help it are somewhat simple um so and and by that i mean you've got to really anticipate what might happen and write that list of things that might happen in your brain and your body, do your research, understand that, talk to other people that have experienced it, do your homework about the most common things that happen in that last 20, 30 miles of a hundred miler and write out what you think might happen to you and go down the path of imagining it happening and mm. how you would cope with it and come up with a strategy for every potential outcome that might happen and um and and simon does this with his his athletes um I think it's like the chessboard, the chess pieces. And he's like, I want you to, to literally write out a hundred things you might ha- think might happen in that, in that last mm. 20 miles. And then I want you to come up with a, a potential solution to that. And we're going to walk through and talk every potential outcome. And that, that just takes away a lot of that uncertainty because you have a plan for every eventuality. Um, and then, and then it's simply segmenting it, never, ever thinking about, oh my God, I've got another 40 miles to go. You have to think about what are the reward systems that I can put in in place to ensure that I get a dopamine hit every, you know, when you're starting out, probably every hour, once you get on into sort of 12, 14, 16 hours of, 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 of running, uh, running, walking, then, you know, it's got to be every 30 minutes or every 20 minutes. Now, is it a piece of food? Is it a piece of music? Can you listen to music? Is it a podcast? Is it your your um, uh, pacing partner? Is it, you know, you get to change your socks and shoes? Is it, you know, any one of these things? But you have to have a list. You have to write it out. All of the things you know will give you a reward. And that's where you start to insert them. And you have a stopwatch on it. And that's how you continue that motivation. So you never think about the full distance. You break it down like that. Um, so I think a couple of those strategies are really important. And then, you know, taking it away from mileage again, the resiliency piece, you know, what we do a lot of with our athletes is is stressing them in different ways, right? So saying, okay, I'm going to have you go out and do your longest run after you've stayed up all night, for example, you know, so you're doing it on no sleep, but you know, your longest run might only be able to be 40 miles. Um, or we're saying you're going to do that entire long run with nobody else, no stimulation. Um, you know, you know, so there's so many different ways that you can actually bring about that potential stress that you might have and recreate that without it just being pure mileage. I want to go back to the chessboard that you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, because I, I find this, I find this aspect fascinating as a tool to deal with the unknown. Mm -hmm. And 
the, the way that you're kind of proposing is, is if you're going into this unknown situation and I actually remember, and you probably remember this from your adventure racing days. I remember talking to a lot of adventure racers. They would do this in a form of kind of contingency planning. Like let's go through all the things that could go wrong exactly. and how are we going to get ourselves out of that situation? And one of the things that I took from consulting with all these adventure racers and trying to make the parallel into, into the ultra running world is that you can always figure out the solution to something when you're sitting there at your desk in a conference yes. room with a group of people and the stress of the race isn't clouding your judgment. Right. You can do that in that situation. It's yep. hard to translate it to the field, but if you don't do it, in the calm situation, how are you ever going to be able to translate that into the field of play when you do have all those complicating factors? 100%. And I think people are lazy, right? They think their brain is just going to open. And, I'm just going to figure it out. Yeah, I'm just going to figure it out. And they also don't see your brain as being something that you can train or, you know, manipulate or be prepared with. They only look at, you know, the data, the numbers, the mileage. I mean, runners especially, right? Mile, you know, minute mile pace, you know, kilometer per hour pace, how, you know, how many feet of ascent, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's just, you know, again, we're sort of obsessed with the numbers, right? Without really prepping maybe for everything that might go on. And so there's actually a really um, uh, interesting uh, uh, strategy that some, in fact, some mountain bikers were using for yeah. a while to deal with um, technical terrain when they were tired, they'd have to do a puzzle. They'd have to actually uh, uh, use another piece of their brain, right? And really sort of drill down where they're tired. And they have that quite a lot. I did uh, quite a lot of the high tech series way back when. And, you know, we would have some puzzles and bits and bobs that we had to to try and uh, uh, do during our activities. Um, so, so you can put that in your training, you know, um, you can force yourself to have to do a math problem, um, you know, halfway through a really tough workout. Yeah. So um, one, yeah. one of the things, uh, one of the things that I actually have have my athletes do is related to this is I have them go through just like you mentioned with the chessboard. What are all these things that could go wrong? And it's your standard list of like four or five things. My quads are shot. I have blisters. I, I can't keep anything down. I'm way behind on my splits and my headlamp ran out of batteries. Like those five things. And I say, okay, listen, let's imagine that all five of those happen all at the same time. Right. All at the same time. What are you going to do to get yourself out of it? And usually, once again, they can list through, okay, first I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. Okay, now let's take that into a visualization exercise. Let's get into mm -hmm. a meditative setting or some sort of mindfulness setting or whatever, whether mm -hmm. you want to do it actively or passively. That's another conversation. But go ahead and mentally rehearse how, how you would actually get yourself out of that situation. And I found that the athletes that do that almost all the time, they're never in that bad of a situation. Normally you can con kind of conjure up the worst, you know, artificially as opposed to what actually happens. So let's go, let's say they get through three, they, or they actually get to experience three out of the five deleterious things that they, that they conjured up. They're like, Oh, no problem. I'm totally going to solve this. This is easy because I've gone <laughs> through it. I've kind of gone through it in training. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's so, so true. And I think probably uh, what is even harder to predict is how you're going to cope mentally. Right. What are going to be the demons in the head that are going to face you when the going gets tough? And so um, 
certainly in our book we talk about this but we talk about the chimp which is essentially your limbic system right um and that's like the sort of tantruming child um that is is most worried about embarrassment inadequacy uh you know judgment uh, all of those kinds of things and so i think that what we really try and get our athletes to do is to get to know their chimp So what are those deepest, darkest thoughts that might come out at those times? And when you are familiar with that, it's no longer shocking. And it's not something that you can just brush aside because we know from a a neurochemistry, a a neurochemical perspective, that your, your limbic system is five times stronger than your frontal cortex. So your professor brain. Um, let's ba- let's, with- let's back up just one second before we yeah. let, let's paint the picture because we're going to get into this and I don't want the like listeners to get lost. You've given this a lot and I've heard you talk about this a lot, but the chimp brain, the professor brain and the computer brain. And then we right. can go by, then we can go and talk about the chimp brain a little bit more and kind of dive okay. down that rabbit hole. But let, let's set that up first. Okay, so so I'm I'm probably going to butcher this just because this is more size field than it is mine because I'm not a, a a scientist. He's a PhD and all the rest of it. But essentially, it's the parts of our brain that were developed uh, across thousands of millions of years, and the um, the limbic system is 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 also known is kind of like your lizard brain, your chimp brain, and that was formed uh, in the earliest times. And so it's most concerned with protecting you from danger, right? So it's your urges essentially and then you have your frontal cortex which is your professor brain with which deals with facts and logic Um, and then you have your computer brain which is more about sort of your memories and what you have experienced in the past Um, and so and so all of those parts of your brain this is very I'm I'm sort of explaining this I'm I'm probably absolutely good okay okay I'm okay okay Um, and they all sort of work simultaneously right but what we do know is that when athletes when people in general have thoughts or feelings that they don't want generally they've been hijacked by their chimp right and your chimp just wants to protect you and it doesn't want to feel inadequate embarrassed or you know or judged right so or left or 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 or, um pushed aside from the group right because in the past of course if you weren't part of your 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 group if you're inadequate you could die. And so all of those are still left over from, from those millions of years ago. So, um, you know, because this frontal cortex, your facts and logic that, that, that say, Hey, listen, this doesn't matter. It's only a race. It's only an endurance race. What, you know, I'm not, it's not life or death. Well, sometimes it might be if you're 85 miles into a, a hundred miler <laughs> and your, and your, and your kidneys are starting to, you know, give up. But, um, but, uh, but, but largely it's not. And so, and yet your limbic system is that much more powerful. So how do we kind of wrangle that in, uh, to, to stop that fight from happening? happening because a lot of the thoughts and feelings that we have that we don't want is about that fight between those two brains um, and so that's definitely what we jump into in our in our book we sort of well at least Simon lays out that brain mental model and then a lot of the the things that we deal with in the book or issues that we have with our athletes we come back to that brain mental model as kind of the the jumping off point to deal with issues and w- one of the techniques that to deal with your chimp brain that's going out of control that I found fascinating is this, is this concept that you need to purge it 
and completely oh, yeah. let it run dry, which is right. on the surface. And when the listeners hear this, they're going to think it's the most counterintuitive strategy right? ever contrived. But I have seen people, unbeknownst to them, do this out on the trail, and it's surprisingly effective. So let's, right? let's talk about that for a little bit. Well, you know, it's fascinating because it actually changes the neurochemistry in your brain. It actually reduces cortisol and a bunch of hormones uh, in your limbic system. Um, because when you purge, that that's the effect that it has, right? So all of those inner demons, all of those things that are really building up and building up to create this anxiety and frustration when you're out there in the moment is because of that limbic system response right so if we get it out and we purge it and it has to be for you know a decent amount of time you know 90 seconds or more even two minutes and out loud is better um then then we know that it actually calms the blood flow to that part of the brain and it's almost like uh you know when you're having a massive argument with with your partner with a child and you you, you kind of cry your way out the mm. other side to the point at which you're exhausted it's exactly the same uh, principle here um and so you'll see me leave Leading up to a big race, having those moments. And in the past, I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> you know, and, and the thing about it is, is it would often, it would often happen at the most stupidest of moments. You know, maybe someone, someone had eaten something out of the fridge and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> You know, you're just like, oh my goodness. Um, you know, and, and, and the classic one for me, and I realized this pretty early on in my Xterra career, was I had a lot of fear on the mountain bike of um, of descending, uh, of technical descents. And so uh, the day before the race, you know, you're pre-riding a course um, and I would need to pre-ride that course with someone that knew me because chances are I couldn't even bump up a curb. I was so I was just rubbish, absolute rubbish. I'm like, how the fuck am I going get, to get through this race? Da, 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 da. Just total whap in the middle of the, of, of, of you know, pre-riding this course. And I had to be with a friend that knew me. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be really embarrassing. And then, of course, the next day I'd go out and absolutely nail it. So um, knowing what those triggers are for you, knowing the types of um, uh, dialogue that your chimp, inner chimp is going to have, being familiar with that and then letting it go and letting it run dry to the point where it's not repeating itself. You know, when it starts to repeat itself with the same themes, with the same topics. Uh, and then, you know, you've kind of gotten to that point where you're no longer judging it. You can't, you can't judge those thoughts. You really have right. to just let them out. This is silly, but no, 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 no. Let the, it go. So, I want to paint the pictures the paint paint the picture here for the listeners a little bit. So you have you have some sort of hang up on technical descents. Yes. Part of an intentional technique that you would deploy is yep. to have essentially a targeted temper tantrum yes. around the fact that that's not a good part of your athletic yep. game. Totally. And you verbalize it. In, yes. a, in a very outward way, you're yelling yep. and screaming at yourself. You have to have somebody yes. that knows you that doesn't, yep. you know, that can just kind of like monitor the situation and go, Hey, she's really okay. This is, this is, this is all part of the game plan. She's going to win tomorrow. <laughs> and this is <laughs> yeah. why, and this is why, but it seems like such a counterintuitive strategy to a lot of athletes and a lot of people listening because they're going to view it as just that somebody throwing a temper tantrum. But when right. you do it in a targeted precise and deliberate way you're I can't I don't know how better to describe it but you're basically just depleting your brain of being Correct. able to handle it 
Yes. And you're, and you're changing your brain chemistry. You're changing the blood flow to the part of the brain where you have those inner fears and doubts, the things that are going to hold you back. And it challenges that and it lets it go. It releases it. Um, and I mean, I mean, to give you guys some kind of example, the types of inner dialogue that I might have if, if I was on that trail would be, I knew I was never good at this. Everyone thinks I can do it and I can. I'm a fucking fraud. Now I'm going to be found out. Da, 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 da. You know, so all of those, all of those types of dialogue for me are quite thematic. Um, to my chimp and getting to understand and really dig down into why they are there is also going to help you move past that. The I think the key between that and a true temper tantrum that is going to that is not going to be beneficial to the athlete. If you're pacing somebody, this is a really common situation is you know that you're intentionally doing it and you're targeting something that you need to very deliberately target. Because we can get, I don't want people to come away with, oh, this is an excuse just to have a temper tantrum out on the trails, right? Not so good. Not so good. And, and, you know, generally, like I would say to people, do it in private, do it with someone that you trust. This is not something that you're just going to do in front of the world, right? And you're not just going to do it at the drop of a hat, but it is a technique that can be really helpful in the moment just to, you know, uh, uh, just to release but also as well as it what's really handy about it is is you recognize it in other people so maybe they have a bit of their own little temper tantrum and you get to see their chimp and that's going to help you cope with them and this is we've actually talked to various companies uh, businesses uh, in terms of how to cope with other people because you cannot fight a chimp with a chimp chimp on chimp action no bueno (laughs) You know, so it's like you got to have your professor brain on if you're going to talk someone off a ledge. So if you can see that their chimp is out and it's triggering your chimp, walk away because it's not going to end in a good way. And it it really has uh, uh, helped me in my relationships in terms of dealing with people. Yeah, I've had a tough time if, you know, I'm, I'm always trans, pretty, pretty transparent on this podcast. I've always had a tough time as a coach in the middle of a race and things like that, trying to find when I'm working with athletes and helping them like guide through the race, giving them motivation or what, you know, whatever I can do during the, during the heat of the moment to like, let them spiral off and create that, create that dumping sensation right to where there's nothing left and then they can move on versus trying to course correct them into working back towards optimism to quote one of my sports psychologist friends you should always work back towards optimism and there's that's that definitely can be a fork for a lot of athletes in terms of how they choose to handle challenging situations, whether it's in a workout or in a race, they can either choose to like let it all go and let the dump happen and then get on with life, or they can choose to like work back towards optimism and always have, you know, the sunny outlook. Right. And I think it's, it it depends on any individual scenario, but certainly I think there's a time and place to allow yourself to quote unquote grieve. Right. And you give yourself that period of time and then you say, I'm going to move on from this. And it's a very scheduled period of time. And even in a race in the heat of the moment, you're going to give yourself that time to wallow in the fact that you've just been dropped to wallow in the fact that you don't feel as good as, as you thought you should, or your data suggests you should, or 
on and on and on. And then you hit a mark. And for me, it's often I'll use a physical location. So maybe it's at the at the next rock. It's maybe at the next pole. It's maybe at the top of the, the top of this hill. I'm changing my attitude and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to focus on this, this, and this. And that can reverse into that optimism. And again, those goals for me generally, certainly if it's in the middle of training, if it's in the middle of racing, um, they have to be process goals. They have to be things I know I can control. And that will then give me that dopamine hit to get me motivated to then get me positive. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it, it, it's manipulating your brain and how you know the chemistry works in order to get the best out of yourself. And then certainly as a coach, for me, um, I find one of the best ways is let your, your athlete rant, as you say, let them have their dump. And then I'll try and relate to them. So hopefully I've gone through some kind of experience mm. where I've felt the same because really you're going to bond again over, you know, adversity, over vulnerability. The, the strongest thing I've had is when I'm vulnerable with my athletes and I talk about my deepest fears and when I've had my biggest downfalls. And then all of a sudden they trust me, they open up to me and we can take that journey together. And then we work on the positive pathway and we say, well, you know what, this kind of works for me and this is how I got out of that state of mind or this is how I got over this issue that happened this is what I did but maybe for you we could try this or that or da 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 but but if you walk hand in hand with how they're feeling through empathy it just changes their level of trust and willingness to want to move past it right dissociative enthusiasm can right. negatively reinforce the situation. Yes. If you if you encounter a person, a fellow runner, don't worry about it. Oh exactly. my god, you'll be fine. Come exactly. on, come on. It's like yeah. fuck off. No, I won't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Whereas, <laughs> whereas if it's like, you know, oh, oh man, I, I, you know, if, you, if you're sharing stories and, and this one race has happened to me or you'll never guess this was just awful and da 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 or my, my deepest fear has always been that this and that and it's just so, so different, you know, it's, it's authentic and I think people crave that. So here, here's the take home for the listeners is if you're having these situations where you're either out on a race course or you're pacing somebody or whatever, and you or the ath- or the person, your friend or whatever that you're pacing, if they start to start to have these bad patches, let them have the bad patch and right. then redirect it. Don't yes. dissociatively try no. to force them out of it because it, yeah, well, it pisses them off, but it also, I think it com it compounds what can already be a negative situation. Right. Big time, big time. And then recognizing, you know, I think as well being forgiving of other people that are out there that maybe have a moment and that then piss you off or they're acting in a certain way which pisses you off or there's so many different interactions that can take place you know, during endurance races, it's just unbelievable. Um, and, and that might even be with your support crew. Um, so it's, it's just trying to sort of maybe understand where their chimp is sitting um, and yeah. being aware of that and not taking it so personally. Or, or if you do take it personally, forgive that person, put yourself in their shoes and say, well, fucking hell, they've been out here all night for me and this and that. And maybe they're just worried or maybe they wish they were doing it or maybe any one of the reasons uh, uh, you know, there's, so I think it's just putting yourself in other people's shoes and that's being self-aware about where you're at, how you think, your why, what your chimp is telling you is going to help you with, you know, the people around you in your world as well. Yeah, I love it. So if you, it, needless to say, if you ever see Leslie on the side of a trail, 
have an attention. Ha- have, an, have an tantrum, realize that it's deliberate and it's all part of the process, right? <laughs> That's right. Probably, hey, just feed me a piece of chocolate and I'll probably be totally <laughs> Chocolate will solve everything. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's leave the listeners with like the high level overview here. I mean, we've kind of gone through some really specific um, like techniques and way th- ways that they can think about pursuing their athletic endeavors, having a strong why, making sure they know what what is kind of like triggering to them and things like that. But what's the high level overview of trying to create a resilient athlete and athletes that can deal with adversity? Mm-hmm. Getting to know yourself really understanding who you are and what your weaknesses are. And I don't just mean physically, I mean mentally. And then putting yourself in scenarios that are going to test that. And it's interesting because I'm a screenwriter as well, and that's what we do with our main characters. You find their flaw, you find their heart of darkness, and then you test that all the time. And hopefully throughout the film, by the end of the film, they've had some kind of arc of change. And that's what we relate to in storytelling. It's exactly the same here. Um, find your flaw, find your heart of darkness, and then test it. And that's going to make you more resilient uh, and change for the future. Mm, I hope some. I hope people take that to heart, like to heart, to use upon there, because I don't think a lot of people are willing to do that unless they no. get prompted to. And that's why people like yourself and uh, and other and other coaches out there are so valuable because they'll provide the carrot and the stick and the impetus to actually not force but coax the athlete into those hearts yes. of darkness. Definitely. And again, I think if more, if more athletes, if more people shared their fears and shared, unfortunately, we live in that world of social media where everyone is, you know, posturing and wanting to talk about how wonderful they are and how skinny they are. And look at this picture of me where I'm showing my ribs or whatever, you know, and it just kind of, you know, it, it compounds that, that, you know, unattainableness and we always need to keep stoic and talk about how awesome we are. And really, again, I think the most powerful thing we can do is talk about our weaknesses. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm with you there. Well, Leslie, this is great. I had a lot of fun with this. It was all it was cracked up to be. We got to throw a few F-bombs around, which the hey. listeners are getting used to by now. Um, where can, where can people find more about you and follow you on social media? Yeah, so you can follow me uh, on Instagram at Leslie Does Try, L E S L E Y Does Try, T R I. Uh, and then you can check out our website, braveheartcoach.com. Uh, and you can check out our book as well, uh, The Brave Athlete Calm the F Down and Rise to the Occasion. So you can get that on Amazon and you can also get it on audio. Uh, and in fact, I read it along with Simon. And I know Jason is looking forward to him uh, recording his own book coming up. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You can just do lots of mouth exercises. You'd be fine. Next, yeah, next week I have to do it. I do not come from a movie and screenwriting background like you do, so I'm completely terrified of it, and it will be. I will bumble over myself at every single step. Well, you know, you know, one of the biggest things is just slow down. Yeah, slow it down. That's, so no coffee beforehand for me. I'll have to like, yeah. take some melatonin beforehand. Exactly. <laughs> I might ping you for some advice on this after we get off the horse. Thanks for your time as always. This is great. I, I really Pleasure. appreciate your time. I hope the listeners take uh, everything that we went over to heart. Thanks, Jason. All right, folks, there you have it. 
Much thanks to Leslie for coming on the podcast today. That was really fun. I need to have more conversations with Leslie. Go and check her out on social media. Give her a follow on Instagram. Give her a follow on Twitter and go check her book out. I have no financial interest in the book. As always, there are no entanglements here. You guys all know that. I just appreciate what she does. And I also appreciate the heck out of each and every one of the listeners out there. Thank you all for tuning in today. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.